Today, we're welcoming Carol Fitzsimmons from Hudson Ross, and Carol's a specialist in U.S. estate law. Carol, welcome. Thank you, Sherry. It's great to be here. So much of the media in the last year has had a lot of publicity on U.S. citizens living abroad. The IRS is needing to collect some income tax. Are you one of these individuals? Now, I imagine with your career experience, you've seen a lot of cases in this exact situation. Absolutely. I mean, we've always seen historically situations where people who are Canadian find out, much to the, their dismay often, that they're also U.S. citizens. And that is of consequence from a U.S. tax standpoint for these people because the U.S. is pretty much the only country in the world that will actually tax its citizens even if they're not residing in the United States. And as an example, you know, there's many people in Canada who were born in the United States, perhaps came to Canada as young children, never really focused on the fact that they had this tie to the U.S. They have unfortunately, particularly in the past year, found out that they are in fact U.S. citizens and because of that status, they have tax filing obligations to the IRS on income taxes and potentially uh, upon they're passing with estate taxes as well. So it's a double-edged sword if you find out you are an American citizen and we're unaware of it. I would say, particularly in the Canadian context, there's probably more people at this point who are not too happy to find out that they're U.S. citizens. And I should mention, too, it's not just the person born in the U.S. that faces this particular issue. There's also a lot of U.S. citizens who happen to have been born outside the U.S. but were born to either one or both U.S. citizen parents. And that can be a transmission of U.S. citizenship as well as having been born in the U.S. So those people in particular who are born outside the U.S. may find it very, very surprising to learn that, in fact, they do have U.S. citizenship. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about the scope of work that you do? We are U.S. lawyers. I work for a law firm of about 200 attorneys that's headquartered in Buffalo, New York. For decades, we've worked with Canadians, both individuals and businesses. In the last 20 years or so, particularly because we've been able to become licensed to practice U.S. law in Canada under NAFTA, we have opened up an office in Toronto. I spend a lot of time there, as do other of my colleagues. We work with Canadian, in this context, Canadian individuals, many of whom may own businesses in Canada, many of whom may have other U.S. connections as well, with perhaps family living in the U.S. or owning businesses in the U.S. And there's a whole host of situations that can arise where U.S. legal advice is needed by these people. This would be one of the, the areas we've seen a lot of activity in in the last year because the IRS has been so active with U.S. citizens abroad. And, of course, there's many people who are in that status who are very concerned about whether or not they should be filing with the IRS. Have they been, in many cases, have they been filing correctly with the IRS, even the people who've been compliant? And, and there's also a significant and probably growing number who are not too happy about the situation and want to give up their U.S. citizenship. So that's really the types of clients we've been seeing lately. Could we begin this segment actually talking about what your obligation is as a U.S. citizen for income tax filing? As a U.S. citizen, you are subject to U.S. taxation on all the income you earn, regardless of where it's earned. So you could have, you could be a U.S. citizen living in Canada, have all your income from Canadian sources. The U.S. still requires that income to be reported in the United States. There is a system with Canada in particular, because we have a, a very good tax treaty between our two countries, 
where in many instances somebody wouldn't be taxed twice. They're reporting in Canada and they're reporting all their Canadian income in Canada and paying tax on it. And then when they file in the U.S., they report the same income and they pay, and they get a credit for the Canadian tax paid. And oftentimes the Canadian tax is higher than the U.S. tax, in which case there's no residual U.S. tax liability. There's a couple problems, though, that arise and unfortunately arise more frequently than, than you might think. One is just that there are certain types of income that is exempted in Canada, which would not be exempted in the U.S. For example, in Canada, as I understand it, when you sell a principal residence, there's a rollover of the gain. There isn't tax at that time. In the U.S., we don't have a complete deferral of taxation on a principal residence. A U.S. person, if it's a Canadian residence, doesn't matter. Again, if it's a U.S. citizen and they sell a principal residence, they can only exclude in the U.S. up to $250,000 of the gain. So that could be an instance where there's no tax in Canada, but that is income in the U.S. and there is U.S. tax. And there's a number of different scenarios like that. We don't have a capital gains exemption in the U.S., as I understand you have in Canada. So for business owners, you can run into a mismatch there. The other issue is that the IRS has really focused in the last couple of years on whether people, even if they don't owe U.S. tax, have filed all the right forms. And this is where I think there's been a lot of anger, frankly, expressed by U.S. citizens who have been trying, many of whom have been filing the the typical form we all think of, which is the U.S. Form 1040, to report their income, but they haven't perhaps been filing this form bank account report that the IRS wants, and there's other forms related to owning shares in Canadian companies that the IRS wants information about. And not filing those forms can actually result in a penalty, a monetary penalty, even if there's no U.S. tax owing. Now, Carol, there are a number of U.S. citizens living in Canada that have never filed U.S. tax. And I know the U.S. government has given them some opportunities of volunteering that information, but let's suggest that I'm a client that has never filed. How would I go about planning for that? Well, the best the best advice is to get advice from a U.S. advisor who is familiar with the situation, an accountant, a lawyer. Many times financial planners can, can point people in the right direction too and become involved in the process to find out, first of all, you know, really what is a person for sure a U.S. citizen because there are instances where somebody could have U.S. citizenship and then lose it, although it's not a very likely situation. And so it's important to first be sure that, in fact, the the person is a U.S. citizen. Once that's been established, then usually what we recommend is that the person have prepared tax returns, U.S. returns, and all these information reports going back at least six years to get a sense of, okay, if I file, what might I owe and what penalties might be out there and things of that sort. Then it's going to come down to the person with their advisor thinking about how do they want to approach this with the IRS. The IRS has had a number of formal programs that all start with the letters offshore voluntary something. Right now they have an offshore voluntary disclosure program. It's the third one they've had since 2009. And every time they've had one of these, the penalties increase for people who have not previously complied. It's possible to go in that way. It's unlike making a tax disclosure in Canada. You make yourself known to the IRS right off the bat, and the IRS is probably in those instances going to impose penalties 
but you work with your, your lawyer, your accountant to manage that situation and that process. Many people, though, uh, also find that, you know, they don't want to go through the formal process and they file for prior periods, again, sometimes, you, you know, or usually six years back, and they do what's called a quiet filing. And the IRS has been kind of all over the place about whether they think that's a good thing or a bad thing. At first, they were saying, well, we don't want people to, to file quietly. We want them to come officially into this program and make themselves known, but in the last couple of months, they've issued more authority that suggests that for people who wouldn't actually owe any U.S. tax, forgetting about these potential reporting penalties, that those persons might be able to file quietly for six years and have penalties waived if there's reasonable cause. So it's not a very clear-cut process, and it really does require thinking through in every situation, you know, what is best for that taxpayer and what are they comfortable with, particularly in terms of the risk of not coming forward or coming forward in one way versus another way. Being that there are choices on how to file, have you yet seen different types of penalties that were not expected, Carol? Part of the problem, Sherry, is that we're getting conflicting information from the IRS about how they're going to penalize people and under what circumstances. So it's a very difficult situation right now for people, and we can certainly talk further about that. It, it is uncertain how somebody may be, may be penalized by the IRS, and therefore that's one of the reasons why it's so important to consider carefully with your advisors what to do. After we come back from the break, Kara, what we'll do is explore that a bit further. I'm Sherry McMillan. This is The Strong Room. <laughs> 